Hello, 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 everybody. I am Pedro. And I'm Meredith. This is Gritty Reboot. We are here to talk about all the best reboots there has ever been. And this week we are continuing our series on Tom Clancy's favorite character, Jack Ryan. Yeah. Last week we took a chance to just go ahead and cover Hunt for Red October by itself. And this week we are taking a look at Harrison Ford's installments in the franchise. And that is Patriot Games and Clear and Present Danger. Yeah. So I ask you, Meredith, what is your knowledge of Patriot Games coming into before we started watching the movie? This I week? had zero knowledge. Had you, had you never really I've seen never it? I've never seen Patriot Games. Your dad never wanted to watch it? Nope. It's a very dad movie. Yeah. Uh, That's why I wanted to know. I don't have any knowledge of it in our household. Um, I, I didn't, like I said, we talked about it last week. I didn't really grow up, grow up a Clancy fan. So uh, my dad wasn't a Tom Clancy fan, or certainly my mom wasn't. So we never really had a, a fandom for him, you know. And because of that, there wasn't necessarily a fandom for these movies. Like, I liked Harrison Ford, but as a kid, like, I understood these were movies for adults. Like, this wasn't a movie for me to watch as, like, you know, when however old I was, 10 or 11, when Clear and Present Danger came out, or, or 9, when uh, Patriot Games comes out. Mm-hmm. So those, those really weren't movies for me. So I didn't really have a lot of experience other than catching bits and pieces of them on cable. This last week was the first time I had an opportunity to really sit down and watch these Jack Ryan movies, with the real exception of the Ben Affleck film, which we'll talk about next week. Yeah, no knowledge. Totally missed both movies. I did like Patriot Games. Well, this week was a little bit uh, different for me because I watched, I watched both movies with you like I normally do. And then I, I basically, I went back to watch a few more scenes in Patriot Games because I wanted to be a little bit more clear on the plot. And oddly enough, I, I ended up liking Patriot Games a little bit less when I went back and, and resaw a, a few things. And I did go back because I felt completely lost on the story of clear and present danger. Now, at the time, I was trying to make some memes on my phone. So I missed a few uh, elements of the plot. So I did go back and watch that movie in its entirety and was surprised that I liked it a little bit more than I did on the first viewing. So that really surprised me with these two movies because I thought it was going to be the opposite. Ugh, I can't believe you watched them again. I can't believe it. it's going to be the opposite. So. Yeah, with that being said, uh, that takes us into 1991, right? 1992. 1992, the year of our Lord. 1992 blessed us with Noyce's version of Jack Ryan in Patriot Games. Noyce. This won't be like anything you've ever done before, little brother. Target leaving the palace now. From the producer of The Hunt for Red October. Get down! Based on the best-selling novel, comes the summer's most explosive motion picture. Hoodie. So, you just waited on in like John Wayne. I couldn't just stand there and watch. So, it does deserve to be mentioned, this is one of the few films where you get to see Mace Windu and Han Solo interact. Yeah. So there, there is that. It's something this movie has going for it. I know the the trivia on this movie about Star Wars is just like yada yada. Yeah, because Vader's in it too. Yeah. yeah. Too, so, <laughs> so yeah, um, we have a recast here. So l- let's talk about that straight off the bat here. Okay. This is the first time we get, we could talk about a reboot, even though we do have a couple of characters. Greer as uh, James Earl Jones, <laughs> Darth Vader. He does reprise his role from the previous film as Greer. Mm-hmm. But I do believe that's the only person to carry over, correct? Yes. So 
He does reprise that role, but obviously we have aged Jack up significantly. Yeah, he's 50. Yeah, uh, that, that's how I believe how old Harrison Ford was when they started production. And in the novel, he's supposed to be 31 or 32 years old. And that is a lot more in line with about the age Alec Baldwin would have been. Baldwin would have been a bit older than that, but still, that would have been much more in line with them. So that made Jack Ryan a, a much older figure in this film. This always made me wonder... How old was his wife? Because she gets pregnant. Yeah. And it's like, if he's 50, then what is she? Exactly. And that's one of the things I know that uh, did upset Tom Clancy. Tom Clancy had very little involvement on this film. Really, once the decision was made to switch from Alec Baldwin to Harrison Ford, he kind of washed his hands of the movie. I wouldn't say he necessarily hated it, but this was not one of his favorite adaptations. Mm. So then that is another thing that did it, the, the random aging up. And like I said, that does make it a little bit weird with... Um, um, and Archer as well. Mm-hmm. So she has to, you know, that's one of the storylines from the book that I just never really left. I guess that they're going to have a baby, but it does make you wonder how old she is if he's, you know, 50 something or when they met. Yeah. It does, it does leave so, some questions that didn't necessarily need to be put out there. So, Patriot Games, this begins with we are introduced to our IRA members, correct? Yeah. And, and also our family of the uh, Thor Birch and. Annie Archer and Harrison Ford. So this is Monopoly. Is this the first time we're talking about Harrison Ford on the show? By the way, have we not covered a Harrison Ford film? I believe not. No, I don't. I don't believe we've ever talked about Harrison Ford up until this moment. I love him. But we, by the way, I do want to mention this is another time talking about Thora Birch, and she's very good here. Unlike the other film where we talked about Dungeons and Dragons, where she gave maybe the laziest oh performance I've ever seen from a professional <laughs> actress. So we do meet him with the family, and there's a nice little moment that I really like is he's talking to uh, the house sitter and he's like, if there's some miracle, the fish are still alive, please feed them. If not, I need you to go and pick up new fish that look just the same before we get back. I did like that. Cause as a, as a parent, that's something you're like, oh shit. You're like, you forget about something like I that. I almost did this on Maya's last um, trip down South. With the hamster? With the hamster. Yeah. Yeah. You almost forgot. So about I like him. almost forgot about him. Cause yeah. I'm so used to going in there and checking on the hamster and getting her water and yeah, doing, ready for the uh, reader yeah, books. Yeah, and yeah, doing, doing that nighttime routine and without doing that, the, the hamster was on death's door basically. Yeah. <laughs> Poor baby. Yeah, I know. Pickles. So, so yeah, basically we have a small collision course colliding here as the Ryan family is going to go sightsee around London in their last few days. And we have our IRA team that is made up of a baby, baby ready to be killed, Sean Bean. Little baby. Oh, a little tiny little baby, Sean Bean. Oh. So anyway, we have... (laughs) And this basically leads to an attack here on the British uh, Minister of State, Lord William Holmes. Lord, He's the, basically, uh, Minister of State for Northern Ireland. Yes. And that's why they hate him and they want him dead. They plant a bomb under his car. And then once it explodes, the shooting starts. Yeah, yeah. Basically, all hell breaks loose, and they make their play to go either take or kill the minister. Yeah. This basically just enrages Jack Ryan. And Ryan leaps into action about as quickly as he can. He's able to subdue Miller, Sean Miller, which, which is, of course, Sean Bean. And he's able to take out two of the other suspects, right? Mm-hmm. And he basically kills Sean's brother right in front of him. Yes. Like his his 17-year-old brother, like they pull the mask off of him and he's just like completely dead. Yeah. And and you can tell, the thing I like about this sequence is, and it's what's great to have Harrison Ford is, and what makes the, I think the drama in the movie almost work for me, Mm. is that you see the anger in Sean Bean's eyes, the disbelief, you know, and then you see Harrison Ford's face and he's like, 
I didn't want to do that. Yeah. Like, I didn't want to kill a man today, but I had to. I had no choice. Like, he takes absolutely zero pleasure in having to kill a man to save the day. Yeah. Like that. But that it, the movie does have to establish that the Jack Ryan is, is, as a moral character, almost a bit like Superman, right? Yeah. Like, his moral compass is always pointing north. His name in this movie is John Patrick Ryan. So, I already have a problem with it, because yeah. they call him Jack. Yeah, but that's just his nickname. But his name is John Patrick Ryan. Yeah. John Patrick Ryan. They call him Jack. And I will say, because his last name, because his name is Jack, it does make everything said to him sound sarcastic. What are you thinking about, Jack? Yeah. Or, or that, or like John Cena just entered the chat, basically, is what I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> Throwback. Well, in all the scuffle and fighting of for his life, he gets shot in the shoulder, saving the day. He is. And the guards actually do come out, and they put a gun to him. They mean, like, they, they have no, they, they don't give a crap that he actually tried to help. They're like, we're gunned down now. Like, they are really in his face about it. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. And his wife does come to treat him because she is a doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he, he gets, he goes to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Then we have a scene where three guys with guns walk into a, up to a house where Kevin lives. Uh-huh. And Kevin shoots one of the guys. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where we get this line, correct? That's me holding my temper, Jimmy boy. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's what punctuates the, the conversation. So uh, after we get this sequence here, we, we have a couple of scenes that, uh, that I do want to mention because we get introduced to a character. Yeah, we're going in and out of scenes right now. Yeah, well, once again, th- this is a Tom Clancy film. So guys, we're trying to keep with everything in the plot. Yeah. But these movies, they have a lot of moving parts and a lot of characters. But I do want to mention an old crush of mine, a Polly uh, Walker here as Annette. She is the, uh, the redheaded terrorist, basically. And uh, we have a scene here after that occurs where... She basically picks this guy up at a bar, right? And they head back there. And this guy is completely naked, right? Mm-hmm. She's just completely like covering his junk, but you can see he's nude. And this guy is hairy as all get out. And she licks like up and oh. down, like all the way up, you know? Yeah, like she's she, the, the complete Clancy is what they call it. And so she does that. And this leads to another one of my other favorite lines is she gets up from the bed after getting him hard with that licking action. Oh, you're not going to make me wear a rubber, are you? <laughs> He drops that line, which made me laugh to no end after I heard it. And she just immediately pulls a gun out and shoots him. Yeah, I'd shoot him too. Yeah, and she she kills him right there. And then she takes off her cartoonishly red wig to reveal red hair underneath it, mm-hmm. which I also found amusing as well. But this kick, But once again, now we, we have the other terrorists that have done something as well. Uh-huh. So I do like that. The, these are nice scenes here. At least I think they are. They help build the tension of where we're going before we get to the courtroom stuff. And then we go to uh, old John Patrick Ryan at the hospital. The police are questioning him about the shooting and showing him some photos of possible suspects. The usual. Yeah. Eventually, he's given high honor for saving the royals. The cops do give him a little bit of shit, but they do give him the proper respect mm-hmm. that he deserves for stepping in and saving the day. Yeah, he saved the royals. Yeah, he absolutely. He did a selfless act. Yeah. Put himself in harm's way to save somebody. Which actually happened, I think, in history. Yeah. John testifies in court, and the lawyers treat him like he's the criminal. Yeah, about to say, the, the prosecution, or I guess the defense, pardon me, they come after him real hard. You know, they, they really do. They, they lay into him like, what were you doing there? Why'd you have a gun? Why were you there to kill? And stuff like that. They really get into his face, and as the altercation comes to an end, he and Sean um, have some words as he's leaving yep. there. You know, Sean is obviously 
incredibly bitter about the death of his brother. Yeah, he threatens him. He does. He threatens him and his family. And obviously, Jack Ryan doesn't give a shit and walks off. Yeah, and then we have him at back at his house. Yeah. And this is where we find out that his wife is pregnant. Yeah, yeah. We, we do that when Jack Ryan gets back home. The trial does conclude with a guilty verdict. Once that scene is over, we have a scene with Sean Bean again. And he's being transported in his buddies. And basically, his buddies come to break him out. Yeah, we, we have a, a small little prison break sequence here, or I, I guess it's just an escape. And I, I do like this sequence as well. I mean, it's not necessarily my favorite action sequence, but it does fairly establish what we need to have happen from this moment in the movie. I think it's competently shot, but nothing special. Mm-hmm. We see James Earl Jones once again in this movie, so he's carried over. Yeah, we, we get reintroduced to Greer. Once it's known about Sean, Sean Miller escaping, he makes a personal trip out to Ryan's house to let him know. Mm-hmm. And I love how this whole scene is treated. He's like, listen, it's not a big deal. Like, it's unlikely he'll ever come here. But I just wanted to let you know. And immediately Ryan's like, yeah, you drove all the way in person because it's not a big deal. Yeah. And it's unlikely. So Ryan's not buying it. He's immediately on edge mm-hmm. at this moment. And, and like, I, I do like it because you have a, a great sense of a relationship between those two characters. At least more so than I think what we got necessarily in the last movie. And I do like that. Yeah. And that does carry over to the next movie as well. And it, I think it, it plays really strongly in both in both pictures. Well, I felt like the captain of the the Red October, Ramius, I think him and his buddy Sam Neill were, they had at least a relationship. There was at least something there yeah. that you could talk about. Yeah, yeah. And like I so said, that movie had a lot more moving parts in it. And Jack Ryan yeah. wasn't necessarily the focus. No. And this time, Jack Ryan 100% is the, fo- is well, the focus. This story is, is more of a Jack Ryan story. His family is targeted. So it's very much about him and his family. Yeah. The terrorists are now on a boat, and Sean can't help but Sean Bean's character is also named, well, named Sean. Sean. Sean Miller. Sean Miller. <laughs> so it's easier to remember. Sean and Sean. Sean can't help but not forget what John Ryan took from him. Jack Ryan. John John Ryan. John Patrick Ryan. John Patrick Ryan. Okay, yeah. so Ryan himself. Until they start <laughs> calling him Jack Ryan, I'm going to call him they John. Call him, they call him Jack Ryan. I'm doing it on fucking principle. All right, all right. You you, you die on that hill. You die on that John Ryan hill. <laughs> all right, so <laughs> uh, with this, they, they do begin their American assassination attempts, correct? They have mm-hmm. two they're trying to carry out at the same time. Yes. So we have Jack Ryan coming out of... Where he's a professor at, by the way. And by the way, I have to mention Harrison Ford, excellent at playing a fake professor. No one fake professors like Harrison Ford. Yeah, right. Like he, no one throws a punch like Harrison Ford and no one fake teaches like he does. Harrison Ford is just one of those classic actors that yeah. you just love. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just always going to love him no matter if he's doing cocaine on a freaking stripper's tits. Well, well, well. <laughs> Well, I hope he is at this age. Well, hey, well, drink them all in at this point. The, the performances, this, we're, we're, we're in the final days. I know. We still got to watch uh, Indiana Jones as well. And he's going to take over for William Hurt in the MCU. So that'll be something. Mm. So we have like the shadiest looking guy in an Annapolis sweater just hanging out right outside the exit. Yeah. And there is a car, there's a Jeep with the engine running, almost revving, right? Yeah. And he- like immediately Ryan's like, Seems strange. Yeah, he's fallen, fallen, old John. Yeah, he sees his reflection in a cargo van, and immediately Ryan's like, "Okay, this is going to be a fight for my life scenario." And he plays like ring around the rosy with the truck with him, right? Yeah, like he runs to the other side of the truck, and the guy runs over there. He's like, "He's not here. Where did he go?" 
<laughs> he turns around like, what, whatever could he, I didn't know he was magic. <laughs> like, like he just is so confused. And he turns around and like Ryan immediately like begins a fight with him and disarms him. Mm-hmm. This other guy is much younger, much quicker. He's able to get the upper hand on, but that doesn't matter because he chose to fight John. Uh, you made me do John Ryan. You made me. Damn right. <laughs> he chose to fight Jack Ryan in front of a military school. Yeah. He is shot down almost instantly. The soldier takes him out with glee and then goes to check on Ryan as the Jeep speeds away. Now, the Jeep is is flying, but this is enough for Ryan to make a positive identification on a red-haired woman. Doesn't say anything now, but it will come into play later on. It will come into play later on. Well, at this time, he realizes that his wife and daughter might be in danger. So his wife... he leaves the crime scene. Oh, yeah, he just takes off. Like, the guy's like, are you okay? Are you okay, Dr. Ryan? He's like, fuck you, I gotta go. He gets in the car and the guy's like, hey, hey, I need your statement. Yeah, he's like, my family's in danger. I don't care about anything else. He rushes home. And tries calling his wife several times, but she's basically on the other line. Yeah. Trying yeah. to get results, test results for a, a patient. Yeah, she's on early 90s cell phone tech. So that's what she has. She's on that old, old cell phone. The brick phone. Yeah, the brick phone. And she, <laughs> and he, he's trying to call through, but it doesn't work. He tries to do the, the, the emergency breakthrough or whatever. I didn't even know that was a thing, but I guess you could do that back in the day. But nothing will work. So he's just trying to drive to her. And at this time, Sean Miller has her in his sights. Mm-hmm. He is somehow able to weave through Boston traffic in a van undetected. And by the way, I have to mention this as well. As he pulls up on her, like some random homeboy is just like honking yeah, his horn. Like, hey, lady, look out, look out. And gets in the way. I'm like, buddy, you don't have a dog in this fight. What are you doing? That's what so are you nice. doing? Yeah. Was, like, if, if I die trying to protect some random person, you'd be like, that was cool, but why? Yeah. <laughs> but he sort of sacrificed himself to, to get in the way and buys her enough time to, 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 well, to drive really poorly and crash right into the median. Yeah, they crash right into those medians. Yeah. And they're at the hospital. Yeah, Luckily, we, yeah. wife and baby, fine. They're perfectly okay. Yeah. The baby should have died there. Daughter, not fine. They're hurt. She's okay except for her spleen. Yeah. It's been destroyed. It's been ravaged. Yeah. And by the way, Sean Bean just assumes that kills them. He does not go back to check. He doesn't look, he doesn't wait for an explosion. Like they hit basically, hitting that medium was like the softest part of the highway that they could crash into. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's maybe what Ann Archer was trying to do, but either way, it was shit driving by her. So he takes off back to Ireland thinking the mission is done, right? Now it's personal. Yeah, yeah. There's a great scene like Harrison Ford staring at his daughter as she's recovering from the surgery. And you see the anger welling mm-hmm, up in his pissed. eyes. Yeah, his fist balling up. He goes to the CIA and he's like, I want back in. And, and for like, some reason, they're like, yeah, come back in. Yeah. Even though you're retired, we probably paid you a severance. Come back in. Hey, retired guy with a personal vendetta. Why don't you come back into this organization? Yeah. So Greer, in his eternal wisdom, puts him right back on that same case again so he can work that and show his complete impartiality towards these guys in the IRA. Because at this point, like, Ryan's a bit of a wild man, right? Mm -hmm. But it is good that we get him back into the CIA to do what Tom Clancy wants to do, which is techno speak and techno babble. Because there's a couple scenes that I wanted to point out. And one of them is, and I know I might jump around a little bit here, but one of them is the satellite sequence, which is like almost a reference to Blade Runner, right? So basically the IRA terrorists are hiding in North Africa, right? Mm -hmm. And 
he's in the the facility and they have some pictures and like the, the terrorists are aware the satellites are coming. They're trying to hide, but he catches them in one moment and he just does that whole enhance enhance. Can we make it sharper? Can you increase the resolution on the image? So they zoom in, they zoom in, they zoom in and they, they zoom in on somebody who is not obviously somebody who lives in North Africa. And then we get probably my favorite moment of the movie. So, yeah, he zooms in on a net, and this is what uh, allows him. He just, it's a favorite line. It's like, tits. So he sees a net, and this is what allows him to know that these guys are in North Africa and can begin his time trying to track them. Mm-hmm. Good. Very good. No, I, I just like that, that moment a lot right there. It's just, it made me laugh insistently when I, it made me laugh hard when I first saw it. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, it's a funny moment with the, uh, with the, the old boobs. With the enhance. Yeah. <laughs> do you remember that scene? Yeah, I do. Okay, okay. The police bust the IRA making bombs. Uh, John Jack Ryan, or whoever the fuck, because why would he be named John Patrick Ryan without being... Oh, man, you are not going to let this go. Yeah. Bean finds out that Ryan's are still alive, and he's pissed. See, he's, in, he's at that camp. In North Africa, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or he's hiding out with those other terrorists. Yeah. All the other guys are like, dude, just let it go. Like, you did your thing. It didn't work. But, you know, you, you, we'll try it later. And he is completely inconsolable. He has to go back and get his revenge. Then you get your enhance, enhance, enhance scene. Yeah, this, this is really my, my favorite of the techno babble stuff. I, the Tom Clancy-ism. So I, I did like that a little bit. Yeah. John Jack goes and checks on his daughter at the hospital and he goes to the cafeteria, and the IRA leader drops off a present for him, the one that he is trying to convince to get to help him get the information. Yeah, yeah, because he had a conversation with him earlier in a pub, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he just sort of accuses him. It's like, you know, I know you know who it is, and I'll expose you to the media, and you won't be able to sell guns again. But he does finally come through and helps him, helps him uh, identify Annette, right? Yep. That's what it is. And so the tit scene does come back into play. He helps him identify her. He gives her up, and this is what allows him to basically zero in on them. We get a scene where there's a, a chase through a rare bookstore mm-hmm. onto a train after he discovers there, there's a bug in the light. Yeah. The librarian. And I always love in, in an espionage movie when somebody finds a bug somewhere. Yeah. It's one of my favorite little bits. I, I, can, I still have that scene from the firm etched in my brain from when I was a kid of when he has to turn up the music. So the wiretap won't hear what he says to his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Those little things. I just love that stuff in espionage flicks. He ends up outrunning him and he hides on, on the train. For some reason, the police don't get on the train. I, I've never understood why yeah. they, they didn't get on the train. Here's the thing. As this movie goes on, there are some leaps of logic here in the plot that I don't particularly care for. And this is one of them right here. And we'll get to a lot more in the finale. Yeah. Terrorists be plotting. Terrorists be plotting. Mm-hmm. We get a scene of that, just them talking. Yeah, that's it. They're just doing, yeah. putting everything together. Ryan and friends are watching footage of Bean's camp as they run into Bean's as they run into Bean's camp and lay waste to everyone. Someone said it's over, but it's re- is it really? We're back at Ryan's casa. It's a stormy night. So we have this whole sequence here, and I, listen, I, I do know that there are some differences here between the book and the movie. I don't know what they are 100 percent because I didn't read the book. Yeah. But this whole final sequence with the storming of his home is absolutely ludicrous. 
Yeah. Because he has, there's like, what, 20 guys outside, right? Mm-hmm. And they're all walking around this place. And these terrorists come up on the beach, right? Yeah. What is the most likely spot for someone to try to come and make an attack on the compound, or on the Ryan house, right? The beach? Yeah. So none of these agents look in the most obvious spot. There's agents everywhere. And there's everywhere. And somehow, and we don't see this, we just, at a certain point later on, we discover like all the agents are dead, It's right? like really quiet all yeah, of a sudden. Yeah, like all the agents are dead. Like they went and they stealthed all of them. They, they probably have like Metal Gear Solid 1, like, <laughs> like stealth detection. Yeah. Like these guys are just able to get around them and easily take them out. It, it's a little ridiculous for a movie that's sort of all about realism. Mm-hmm. It, just, it just doesn't work for me. I know there's like six guys, but like I said, there were 20 trained agents around that whole facility. It doesn't work for me. And the same thing with the stormy night and like the, the storm power knocks out, out the power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, Ryan immediately finds that one of the people who came with the, with the minister was selling them out and dirty. Like he immediately just senses it's him, right? Yeah. And John Jack punches him out. <laughs> and he shoots him in the knee to mm-hmm. like get the info that he needs. He finds out there's six guys coming and they don't turn the lights on. It's him and Sam Jackson down there basically trying to fight their way out. He sends his family up to the upstairs of the bedroom. Yep. Ryan gets ready to defend with a shotgun, but the shotgun's empty. Yeah, so they are they know for a fact they're going to have these IRA guys storming the house coming, and Ryan doesn't think to like load his shotgun. This would be the one time you'd want to have your home defense weapons preloaded, right? Yeah. This would be it, and he doesn't. There's a I guess a sequence for comedy where she's fumbling around in the dark like, "Oh, John, where'd you put the shells?" Yeah, but she she conks a goon over the head with so, so a yeah, of like all these twenty two CIA, FBI agents and cops can't take out these guys. But Ann Archer knocks one dude out with a gun because he's not yeah. paying attention. Like the like all of a sudden this movie becomes like a, a like a laugh out loud blockbuster. Yeah, they escape to the basement where they lay a trap and manage to kill a couple of guys. Yeah, they take a few more out. Him and Sam Jackson. Nice. They, they escape outside. Sean, he he's. Just, I want to kill. He's seeing red. He doesn't, he's not even he's thinking. He's into cartoonish supervillainy at this point with his need for revenge on. Kevin wants the royal family. Sean wants, wants Jack. And basically Sean's going to win. Yeah. He yeah. kills the other two. Yeah. He just straight up shoots them. Yeah. And he goes back. He just straight up shoots them and then engages in what I think is actually a very exciting boat chase. Mm-hmm. Even if it doesn't necessarily fit the tone of this movie. But, I mean, it is a nice chase, technically. I liked it. I mean, like, I think it's fine. I Like I said, I just don't think it, it's very, I think even Robert even points it out, like, it feels very Indiana Jones. It just feels very blockbuster. And this movie became a blockbuster at the last second. And I really didn't like it. It left a sour taste in my mouth. Mm. Once again, they battle on the boats, and Ryan is able to jump away from the boat before it explodes or yeah. crashes. Or, either way, Sean Miller's boat it dies, and he dies on it. Yeah, the the boat's driving itself. Uh, Sean is impaled on an anchor, and then John Jack bails out of the boat as it hits some rocks, and it explodes. And he gets rescued at the end with not finding out the sex of the baby. Yeah, this is maybe one of the weirder things in the movie, actually, right? Mm-hmm. It's like it, it almost ends on, and the sex of the baby is, and he doesn't get to know. Yeah. And now, now we know from watching the other movie that it is a boy. Yeah. We, we do know that. So we, we have the spoiler. But uh, it's not like the it's not like the next movie opens up with him like uh, coming back in from that freeze frame. <laughs> Actually, you know, I would have loved it if that's how the other movie started. It's a boy. Oh, great! Woo! Uh, I hope there's no clear and present danger to this child. 
like your version better. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. I don't know why I gave it a new theme. But yeah, that's that's how it could have gone. I, I give this movie a 6 out of 10. I liked it. 7 out of 10. I think it's fairly well crafted, even if the, the script, I think, really lets it down. Harrison Ford really is a very good older Jack Ryan. I like how that works. I think Ann Archer's really good in this. And that's one of my negatives of the next movie. She barely has anything to do. But I get it. This movie's about an attack on his family. They cut a lot of her scenes out. And it makes sense. Like, like it feels like there's more to it in the mm-hmm. movie. But I, I think this movie is pretty well done. It just, it could be a little sharper, is my thing. I think this is a, a decent adaptation of, of Clancy's work. Well, not a great one. All right. Some facts for you. The attack on the members of the royal family at the beginning of the film were inspired by a similar true life attempt to kidnap Princess Anne on 3-2074. She was in a car when a man shot her guard and driver. She was helped by a passerby who attacked the criminal and saved her life. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, this is actually based off something. So mm-hmm. and that's not 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 that uncommon that Clancy would take a, a real life event and sort of shift it to fit in one of his narratives. That's interesting. During the shooting of the climactic fight scene between Ryan and Miller on the boat, Harrison Ford accidentally injured Sean Bean by a blow with the boat hook, leaving a bleeding cut. The resulting scar was later used for Bean's title character in Sharp 1993, enhanced by makeup. It is a pretty wicked scar. Yeah. Tom Clancy disassociated himself from production after reading the first draft of this script. Yeah, like I said, he was not real pleased with the changes they were going to make and just really decided to go another way. So that's his call. Like I said, this movie ended up being very successful, so he still made a lot of money. This is the only R-rated Jack Ryan and Tom Clancy film. Which seems really weird because it doesn't feel R-rated. No. I I think if you were to re-rate it, I I don't think it's R-rated anymore. No, it's PG-13. Yeah, I think PG-13. Yeah, there's not a lot of swearing. There's a little bit of blood, but not much. No. I mean, just like a little bit of blood. James Horner borrows part of his score from Aliens 86 in scoring this film, specifically the key elements of resolution and hyperspace from the Alien soundtrack appear in this movie. It is the music that plays while Ryan and the others watch the SAS attack on the Libyan training camp. Oh, okay. I, I didn't catch any of those similarities in the score, oddly enough. I didn't either. Yeah, I, I didn't really catch that. I, I love James Horner, but I, I missed that, so. I'll have to listen out next time. The title is a reference to an Irish ballad called The Patriot Game, which is a popular song within the nationalist movement. Mm. And that is all the facts for this film. I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but I do know that John McTiernan didn't follow up as a director because he had no interest in telling an IRA story Mm. or anything that viewed Irish people in a negative light. And that's one reason that he left. Even though I think Noyce did a Noyce job, in all honesty. It's not incredibly well directed but i mean it certainly isn't a poorly directed film by any means so yeah all right now we move on to clear and present danger 1994 some say the greatest threat to america these drug cartels represent a clear and present danger to the national security of the united states comes from other nations Some say the greatest threat to America. The course of action I'd suggest is a course of action I can't suggest. Comes from within. We are two minutes to target. 
Looks like we've got. I had always uh, avoided this movie. I guess to put it mildly. I mean, I didn't have anything against it, but like I said, this seemed like another old man movie or dad movie. So I, I never ever really caught it. Yeah, I never saw it either. This yeah, first time. yeah. So um, I wasn't necessarily dreading this experience or anything. Like I wasn't like, oh god, no. But like I said, this wasn't one of the most excited. I've been to watch one of the movies on the show. Well, I liked Patriot Games, so I had high hopes, but I was gobsmacked by all the plots and characters and things happening in this there, movie. There is a lot going on in this movie, and I will say this is a lot more like a traditional Tom Clancy story. Like, I feel it's a little bit, a little bit more like The Unfor Red October with a lot of different storylines running around. It felt like work watching this movie. <laughs> I, I actually ended up kind of liking it, and I appreciated the narrative a little bit more, especially when I went back and, and understood the narrative a little bit better. And I think that really did help. So, I think I enjoyed this movie more than you did. Yeah. But uh, let's get into it. This one is a little bit different. We open up on a boat. The Coast Guard comes onto the Enchanter with two guys who are acting real suspicious. The Enchanter. Now, when you say suspicious, are you referring to the gentleman with blood all over his pants? Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, that that looks a little suspicious. So as we discover, the Coast Guard boards the boat and they ask for the video camera. And they do that because there has been a grisly murder on board Mm -hmm. this boat. But not just anybody has been murdered. A gentleman by the name of Harden has been murdered. Yeah. He is an incredibly wealthy businessman with connections to the President of the United States. I'm glad you bring that up because that is not easily accessible information in this movie. Yeah, because you're going to see this murder and it's not going to be basically until... The next sequence, because we're going to get introduced to the murder, and then we're going to come back to the CIA, and we're going to meet Greer and Jack, and they're going to have a little conversation and touch base. And we find out that Greer is sick. Yes. That Greer is not healthy. And then we go into the Oval Office, and everyone's watching the tape. And this is when we find out that information. And this is where you get your line, the president declares a clear and present danger. Yeah, yeah. And basically, this sets up pretty much everything for the entire movie. The president is livid that one of his friends has been killed by the Colombian cartels. And the amount of drugs that are coming across the border and stuff. He's just going on and on about drugs, drugs, drugs. Yeah, so this is a situation that is immediately rising. The president's pissed, so things are going to happen. I do like that early on here... The Jack is a little meek around the president. Mm -hmm. Like, he's just, you know, kind of quiet. He doesn't want to be disrespectful. He only wants to do his job. And I, I do like how this relationship matures as the movie goes on. So immediately we shift back to to Colombia. We go back to Colombia and we have Ernesto and he's like, what, hitting fly balls like in his garage or whatever? Like he's just like dicking around, right? Yeah. Ernesto Escobedo, who is actually modeled after Pablo Escobar. Pablo Escobar. Pretty, pretty obvious. He's supposed to be Pablo Escobar. So he has his information general, uh, Cortez. Colonel come, Felix Cortez. Cortez comes by and is basically like, listen, you can do what you want, but maybe killing the best friend of the president in an execution-style attack that murders his children, too, isn't the best look. And he's not wrong about that one. But once once Ernesto finds out about him being the president's friend, then he treats the situation with a little bit more importance, correct? Yeah. Like, he's like, okay, maybe I should listen to you on this one. Yeah. We, this is where we learn that the Admiral has pancreatic cancer, and yeah, it's that, pretty bad. The Greer is going to die, and this now, sadly, makes uh, Ryan become the new head of the, 
the deputy director of intelligence for the CIA. Yeah, I, is his new job. I didn't write it down. Yeah, so. I, I was waiting. For you, I looked at you for like for the slam dunk. I threw the alley oop, and it just went out of bounds. Yeah, no, sorry, <laughs> you didn't I even jump. I didn't write like, down. Oh, nothing. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, he 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 now takes over the role of the de- deputy director of intelligence for the CIA. So after he does this, we get our bad guys. Now we've seen Ritter and Cutter before. But they firmly let us know that they are going to be the bad guys, right? Yeah. Because they're sort of scheming behind the scenes a little bit. Uh, the actor who plays Ritter, by the way, he's also one of the bad guys in the first Mission Impossible. And he's actually the bad guy in the latest Mission Impossible, too. He is a fantastic character actor whose name I did not write down. I feel bad about it. But uh, Robert he does- Ritter is the only thing that I wrote down. I wrote his, his character. Oh, Henry Cesarni. Henry Cesarni. Henry Cesarni. Yeah. And he comes in here and he does a really great job playing a, a, like a just a sleazy person who is going to betray the government. Like he, he really does a great job playing someone who betrays the government for his own benefit. Yeah. I, I do like his performance. So. And Jack Ryan has to work with Robert Ritter and he's not John Patrick Ryan in this movie. He's Jack Ryan. He is Jack Ryan. Yeah. There's no more John Patrick Flannery Ryan. No, no. It's all Jack. about Jack Ryan. No, no John Jack, no Joe Jacks anymore. No, it's all about, it's all about Jack Ryan. So we get introduced after this to a new character. And that's John Clark, played by Willem Dafoe. Hell yeah. So Ritter goes basically to to meet him and set up Reciprocity, which is a paramilitary organization. (laughs) The look you just gave me, like your eyes glazed over as I said that. This is a group of mercenaries that is going to be sanctioned by the United States government as a shadow enforcement organization, basically. So that that is the sort of goal. They are going to go and do things behind the scenes that nobody knows about. Uh, by the way, I, I did. Uh, by the way, my notes I have Ann Archer is underused in this film. Yes, just randomly. I just I just have that written down. The colonel's at the airport, and he gets picked up by a woman. Jack Ryan's wife knows that woman. Yeah, so, and makes small talk with her. Yeah, this is an interesting little sequence here. This is why I wrote down that she's underused because she comes in here and she meets a woman named Moira, mm-hmm. and Moira has a new beau that she refers to as Latin Jack. Hot, hot action. But for some reason, Miss Archer isn't able to, I mean, (laughs) Miss Ryan isn't able to see his face, only catches him from behind, right? Mm -hmm. But it does establish that she has seen him before. So he takes off and is unable to be seen, and then the sequence comes to an end. But we we do establish that that connection's there. Then we get a scene where they hack into Harden's bank account. So this is a fun little sequence. This has the actor from Alan McBeal in it. And I know you like this guy, right? Yes. Yes, because I lo- I used to love Alan McBeal. It was one of my favorite shows. Yeah, he's a, he's another uh, fantastic character actor whose name I did not write down. Mm-hmm. And he has a lot of fun in this sequence. He makes this bit of 90s tech uh, really work out because he goes down basically all the important dates that you might have for a pin number. And I used to be really mad at my dad about this because he had my birthday as his pin. I was like, that's the worst thing you could have. Don't do that. But... <laughs> Uh, and he did finally change it, thankfully. But yeah, he basically goes down important dates and he finally hits on his wife's birthday. Mm-hmm. Jack Ryan and the other guy can't, and Dan can't even leave the room before he's able to let them know that he's into the account. Yeah, and he discovers that Harden, the guy that died on the boat, he was laundering money for the drug cartels. Not only was he laundering money for the drug cartels, he was skimming off the top. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that gets, I don't know, you and your family brutally murdered at sea? Yeah. So, yeah, so now we have an explanation about how this occurred. And Ryan believed the entire time that he was dirty, so that's not a big surprise. But there's a nice little moment where everybody else in the Oval Office is trying to find a way to spin it. And Jack Ryan says something I really like. No use diffusing a bomb after it's already gone off. 
And it's it's a line that I really enjoy because it catches the president's attention. And he's not wrong because everyone's telling him to downplay the friendship and the relationship between the two of them. And even after this, there's a sequence later on where the president's campaigning and somebody, a reporter asks him, how do you feel about uh, Harden? He's like, well, the guy's not just one of my friends. He's been a lifelong friend of mine for years. I'm shocked. And just leaves and immediately diffuses it. He took Jack Ryan's advice. Mm-hmm. And it's a nice little moment that I like. We jump to a, a sniper taking his shots from very far away. This is a fun little scene here. We get introduced to a character named Chavez here, and he is making light work of this special forces team. Yes. Like he is shooting this target and they're supposed to find him. And it's great. Everyone's like, where is he? And they track him down and they only find uh, a quarter pounder rapper (laughs) from where he was. Like he's completely lost them entirely. And they're like, will you just stand up and show us where you're at? And he's like 10 feet away from the gym. Yeah, he's real close. Yeah. So, you know, he can do whatever he wants. The guy's amazing, basically. And it's a great introduction for the character. And this allows him to get recruited into reciprocity. Yeah. John Clark's gang. Yeah. Do you just call them John Clark's gang? Yeah. <laughs> well, it is this gang. Reciprocity. Reciprocity? Reciprocity. Reciprocity. Okay. There you go. Reciprocity. So, yeah, he, he does uh, recruit him into that one. And the sniper who plays Chavez is Raymond Cruz. Ramon Cruz. I like that. Raymond Cruz. Ramon Cruz. John Clark and Benjamin Bratt, who plays Captain Ramirez, are interviewing him for a big mission. Yeah, basically. And it's a nice little sequence. You got a family you're going to go back home to? No, sir. He's a lifelong soldier, and that's what Clark's looking for. Then we jump to Jack Ryan testifying in front of the senators on some sort of panel. So they need more funding for this entire operation. Mm -hmm. And the whole entire thing that he gets with the Senate is that we'll increase the funding, but I don't want to see any troops at all in Colombia. No American troops. And Ryan's like, that's not what this is about. We're going to go solve this crime, and that's it. There'll be no troops on the ground. And I love it because immediately they cut to Clark and troops moving right out into Columbia. Yeah. So this is uh, this is obviously Clark and his guys. They are out there making their moves and moving into Columbia to start just really causing havoc. Yeah. John Clark drops them all off in a helicopter. And this is where I wrote down, this is a dense movie. Yeah, there really is a lot going on because now we're going to get another mm-hmm. key element of the plot introduced. Yeah. And that is the money. The money that was going to be used to buy these drugs is $650 million, unclaimed, unseized. And the president wants that fucking money. Yep. And so this is sadly what gets Jack Ryan to have to go to Columbia because he wants it. I mean, obviously us, the Americans want it, the Colombians want it, and the cartel wants it. Yep. So it is going to be a fight for it. And that's why Jack Ryan has to get his ass down to Columbia to take care of it. Uh, Before he leaves, though, we do get a nice sequence of him meeting with Greer. Mm-hmm. Which I do really like. Like Greer is bad. It's getting it's getting rough at that point. But he tells him one thing before he leaves: you watch Ritter like a hawk, and that, yeah. that's really, that's one of the things I take away. You don't ever trust that guy. And of course, I mean Jack already doesn't, but he knows from that point he he can't take him lightly at at, at all. After this, uh, we get another big bang, don't we? A big plane explosion. Clark's gang pulls up the plane. Reciprocity. 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 They have a name. Clark, Clark's gang. Yeah, reciprocity. They, yeah, they blow up this plane and it's a pretty cool explosion. By the way, that's the one great thing about these movies. Early nineties, all practical explosions, big, cool looking explosions. Mm -hmm. Just, I just want to mention that right now. You don't always get that in movies of this caliber, especially now they cheap out on so many damn explosions. It's not quite the same. So Jack Ryan lands in Bogota, Colombia. And then we have a scene Cortez and Escobedo hear the news. They lost another plane. So they're pissed. 
you know, right now, like Escobedo is putting some pressure on Cortez. He wants to know what the fuck's going on yeah. with these guys. What well, I need some info from you. That's what your job is. So he's getting a little bit of pressure at this point. Jack Ryan and John Clark meet. Yeah, and, and I, I do like this because now Clark is a, another character who runs throughout Tom Clancy's fiction. He's used in a lot of different books. This is not his only appearance. And he is a lot like Jack Ryan, except he's a soldier for hire. He does what he's told. Mm-hmm. But you can tell from this sequence that even though he does what he's told, he's willing to work for shady characters and do whatever it takes to get a job done. He can recognize an honorable man. And Greer is an honorable man. And Greer speaks highly of Jack Ryan. Mm-hmm. Their little connection is knowing about Greer. They talk about how he's about to die and they bond over that. And he's able to give Jack Ryan one little tip. And that tip is coffee. Yeah. And this leads us into the next bit, which the next bit of evidence down the chain, which establishes that Harden was basically buying this coffee at an incredibly inflated price of $6,200 per pound for his money laundering operation. Yeah. He's able to definitively prove at this point that Harden is 100% dirty and working with the cartels. Hell yeah. So he's able to prove this to the president who's like, I'm shocked after 40 years. Whatever, fuck face. Yeah, and the president, that's when he tells the president that the Colombians want Harden's money. Yeah, yeah. And this is where we see, as this kind of plays out a little bit, we see a little bit more of the intrigue that's developing behind the scenes, like where the president's loyalties lie. Like, it's something that's developing that I like. And sadly, Moira is caught up in this as well. A very innocent character. Yeah. Yeah, she has no She ends up getting killed. Yeah, because she contacts her Latin Jack again, which sadly is Cortez. And there's a whole sequence where they play like fake noise in the background for when they contact him. (laughs) You know, like he's got this whole setup. This is a very smart, smart man. He is very calculating. And I love that about his character. He's a great foil for for Jack. So this obviously sadly does not not go well for Moira. We're back with Clark's gang watching the cartel. Reciprocity. Clark's gang. (laughs) We got to talk about the ambush here. We got to talk about the ambush. So we have... Some new troops arrive, or we have some new CIA agents that are arriving in Colombia, and they're picked up from the airport. And one of them is Dan. Uh, that's a friend of Jack that we met earlier back at the at, at Langley. And they have a little fun conversation in the car about Colombian Mexican food being the same, which is not true. They are quite different, and anybody who's ever eaten the two would definitely know that. Um, at the same time, this is intercut with Moira meeting up with Latin Jack at their little cabin. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I do want to mention that he goes and like goes to give her a neck massage and just snaps her neck before they even get to fooling around. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's straight to business. Once he finds out where the, that all those guys have taken off down to Columbia, mm-hmm. he kills her and immediately relays the information back down to set up this ambush. And this ambush is really a thing of beauty, is it not? Yeah. Because they're able to pin all of the agents in, which is four different white like SUVs. Yeah. And, they have three guys on the top of these buildings as they're boxed in with rocket launchers just firing down. It's absolute bloody mayhem, and it's the best scene in this movie yeah. and one of the best action scenes in the 90s. It's my favorite scene. This scene is absolutely amazing, a white-knuckle sort of affair. There's great driving action in it. There's some good stunts from an older Harrison Ford. Uh, it really is fantastic. We get all this action. Cars are blowing up. Uh, Harrison Ford's vehicle barely survives. Dan gets killed right in front of him. He can't save him. There's even a moment where they get the remaining survivors and Ryan's trying to carry a wounded guy. He puts him down once they get out of that action and he's just dead. Mm -hmm. I I love that little moment that Ryan carried someone out even at the very end and he was already gone. Ryan's practically the sole survivor of this whole event. Right. 
and he's able to call his wife, relay that he's okay and he's coming home. So th- this attack, the thing that I like about it is just like in every sort of Tom Clancy book, like every reaction has an equal and opposite reaction. So immediately people are like, hey, where's the fucking blame for this? Because you think the Americans are going to sit down quietly while 15 CIA agents, CIA agents are gunned down in the streets of Columbia? Mm-hmm. Hell no. They're looking to crack some skulls. And already the cartel is like, they're, they're throwing right the, the blame at Escobar. Not Escobar, Escobado. Um, Escobedo. Escobedo, pardon me. And Escobedo, he's hammering on Cortez, like where that's coming around. And Cortez is trying to convince him that, no, no, it's the other cartel guys. And so he's trying to play with his head. You know, there's all this other things that are going on sort of behind the scenes here. As Jack gets back to America, he finds out about Moira getting killed on the same day the attack happened. And Jack's a smart guy. He knows there ain't no such thing as a coincidence like that. And so this is where that information earlier from meeting Latin Jack comes back into play. And his wife enters the investigation a little bit by giving that description. Right. And it's one of the things that I, that I like is all these little threads are now coming back into play, pulling up as this tapestry of this mystery is beginning to come together. And Jack is starting to put it all together. Finally, it's, it's uh you know, like I said, it, it is particularly impressive. Yeah. So as they're doing this investigation, there was one mistake. Cortez was so brilliant about everything he did, but Moira's carelessness got him because he's on her answering machine and they finally have his voice because we left out a, a scene earlier when he arrives, when Jack arrives in Columbia, when they talk about the intelligence official, he's the invisible man. They don't know who he is. They've never seen him. They just know he exists. Mm-hmm. They don't have a voice. They don't have a name. They got nothing. So now they finally got something and they're on their way to cracking this whole thing. So we cut back to Colombia. Should I say it like that? So they cut back to Colombia and we have reciprocity here. They are now going to try to set up a military strike. Why? Because Escobar, not Escobar, I keep saying Escobar, I keep wanting to say Pablo Escobedo, Escobedo. yeah. Escobedo. Yeah, thing. sorry guys. So Escobedo, as he got really paranoid from Cortez trying to convince him that the other guys in the cartel set up that attack, he calls them up. And attempts to, to set a meeting so where they can figure out where the blame happened. And this puts them all in one spot because one of the other cartel guys was wiretapped. So he just hands them the location. Mm-hmm. And this sets up, as you refer to him, Clark's gang, reciprocity, as they send in a goddamn missile strike to take all these guys out. There's a great sequence there where they're trying to paint a car because they want to make it look like a car bombing. And Willem Dafoe's character is just painting that target. And he looks over as the missile strike is coming in. And he sees kids playing in the backyard of the mansion. And he doesn't relent. He doesn't move at all. The job has to be done. That's who he is. Mm-hmm. And sure, and that has huge repercussions coming down the line. Because, yes, all these targets are taken out. But everyone's got to figure out who the fuck did this. You know, the American media is like, hey, children were killed here. Someone needs to claim responsibility. Basically, Jack Ryan doesn't buy the story that the media is, is saying. Yeah, because they're saying this was a car bomb. And Jack Ryan immediately looks into it. And nothing about it holds water yeah. because it doesn't match what a car bomb looks like. He goes into doing research and it matches more of what a missile looks like, but it doesn't match entirely because missiles throw shrapnel everywhere. And this one didn't. And there's a weird substance on everything. So then we have a really weird sequence of competing research between Cortez and Jack Ryan. They are both trying to figure out where the fuck this missile came from and how it happened. 
And this is not something I really expected to see in the movie, but this is a nice little scene of them, like I said, competing and using their different resources to find the same information. And they arrive at the U.S. military was directly responsible for the attack. Yeah. Jack Ryan has to build more evidence and find out who authorized these before he can act. Cortez doesn't have that problem. Cortez immediately calls up Cutter and blackmails him with that information. Yeah, Cortez meets with the president's guy. Yeah. He wants to deal with the American government in exchange. He wants to know the location of Clark's gang. Exactly, exactly. And that's all he wants. Reciprocity's head on a fucking stick. And this is the thing here. Like, we know from earlier when there was that attack on the convoy with all the missiles that Jack takes all those deaths personally. Mm -hmm. There's a great scene after that when they wheel the bodies out and Jack watches every single moment of it. He doesn't take his eyes off those bodies until they're put in the casket. That's what means something to Jack, saving people's lives. So obviously leaving soldiers out to dry is not really Jack Ryan's bag. Mm -hmm. Then you get your scene where Jack Ryan gets advice from the Admiral who looks terrible. Yeah, this is a dying dying. career. And he tells him at this point, Ryan's scared because this mystery is going all the way up to the top and he's afraid of where this is going to lead him and what it could, where it could land him. You know, it could put the president in trouble. And Greer puts it in perspective. You don't work for the president. You're trying to pull the Constitution. That's your job. That's what you took an oath to do. Mm -hmm. And it's a great moment because he follows through with it. And that's what's great about Jack Ryan. That's why Greer trusts him above anybody else because he knows he's willing to follow that above where no one else will go. Jack Ryan wants to hack into something. He mouths something illegible to the hacker and he gets to work. Yeah, this is a fun little sequence where I need you to hack somebody and he just mouths out, Ritter. And yeah. we had to stop and go back to see who he's talking about. But the hacker is just thrilled. And this leads to one of the wackiest and kind of exciting, like, 90s computer hacking sequences is. Mm-hmm. So he goes into the hacker, is able to go into his computer, set it up, and Jack Ryan has an opportunity to look at the files once Ritter logs in for the day. But he doesn't tell him that if he logs in while Ritter is still logged in, Ritter's going to know somebody else is in his computer. Yes. So he logs in too early. He's like, shit. So Ryan's got to think on his feet and he calls up Ritter. And he's like, hey, uh, I was wondering if, uh, you know, hey, we got off on the wrong foot. Hey, we could, uh, you know, catch a, you know, catch a flick. Maybe uh, have a tennis match later. You know, do that. And Ritter's like, yeah. Me. And immediately Ritter's like, wait, why are you calling me? And just starts looking around. He's immediately tipped off. It's a great little moment. And he realizes that Ryan is on there. And so it becomes this competition of him trying to delete files and Jack Ryan trying to print them as fast as he can before he can delete them. Yeah, it's a dueling piano type situation. Weirdly enough, for how old this tech works, the scene still works today. I was kind of surprised. I was engaged by it. So they go back and forth and Ryan is able to print out just enough. And he walks to the door with the crumpled information. And he's like, you're going to jail, buddy. And Harrison Ford gives him the point. And then the Admiral dies. Well, I I don't want to leave this sequence just yet because there's a lot more to talk about here. One of the other things I wanted to mention here is that Jack's love of the government is completely crushed here. Mm -hmm. And that's important because he has the records that say, you financed this organization, you got innocent people killed, you went behind Congress's back, I can show that you did all of this. And right as Jack's got Ritter right where he wants him, he pulls out a letter from the president And it's a preemptive pardon for Ritter and for Cutter about anything that relates to reciprocity and sending troops to Columbia. The game was fixed the entire time for Jack. Jack loses. Jack just walks away. Jack walks away as Ritter's almost chuckling to himself. So pleased. Mm -hmm. So pleased he's got this win over Jack. And then Greer dies. Mm -hmm. 
This uh, the funeral is is almost kind of heartbreaking. You know, Jack just has to listen to the president, who he knows is full of shit, up there eulogizing his friend, the most honorable guy that he knows, just spewing that garbage out of his mouth. And the whole sequence is intercut with reciprocity's guys completely cut off on comms, getting destroyed, killed, and pummeled. Yeah, they're ambushed. It's a brutal sequence. It really is. Harrison Ford plays it really nicely with, like, wincing almost in time with all the reciprocity guys getting killed. It's a rough, rough scene, and I really like it. I really like it. They're and they're left for dead too. Yeah, yeah, they're they're abandoned. Uh, Ch- Chavez is able to kind of escape into the woods a little bit, but everyone else has been captured or killed. Ritter tells Clark shut down the mission, but Jack Ryan he's going back to Columbia. And that's the thing too. Also in this sequence, is Ritter and Cutter laid out very clearly. Jack Ryan has to die for you to get your men out. And Clark only is cared about one thing. Only cares about one thing: getting his guys out, getting them safe, getting them home. And he's willing to do whatever it takes. So, so he follows Jack. Yeah, Jack comes in from the airport, and he immediately captures him and throws him into a van. You know, Jack's like, I'm looking for you. I don't care. Get in here. And he calls up Cutter. I'm sorry. He calls up Ritter immediately. They're almost interchangeable at this point. He calls up Ritter, and he's like, I've killed Jack Ryan. I need you to get my guys out. And Ritter doesn't do a damn thing. Ritter's just like, whatever, and hangs up the phone. And, of course, the camera pans over, and we see Jack Ryan is still very much alive. Mm-hmm. Clark wants to hear what he has to say. Luckily for us, Jack Ryan only wants to do the right thing. He's come here for one reason and one reason only, to get reciprocity guys back home. And of course, Clark can't help but take him up on his offer. You know, they have a plan. They're going to go in there. He's got a drunk helicopter pilot, and Jack Ryan's got to pay $2 million for the helicopter for them to get it out of there. Yeah. But he's willing to do it. And the look on Clark's face when he sees that Ryan has put all this capital, not just the money, but his reputation on the line to save these guys— and it immediately makes an impact on him. Huge. Like, he knows, I, I can trust this guy no matter what. And then Jack Ryan ends up meeting with the, what's his name? Not Cortez, uh, the sniper. Yeah, Ch- Chavez. Chavez, yeah. Yeah, they, they, they go in the woods, mm-hmm. they go in the jungle, and they're looking for guys, and they, they can only find Chavez. And Chavez thinks that, thinks that Clark abandoned them. And Ryan breaks up their fight as, they're, as he's like almost trying to kill Clark. And he's like, no, 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 it wasn't his fault. It was mine. And it's not Jack's fault, but that's just the kind of guy Jack is. You know, some other assholes put that guy in danger, but Jack Ryan's going to fix it. That's why I kind of like this character. He kind of grew on me in this movie. And so they've got to come up with a better plan. And they come up with something really out there. Jack Ryan basically walks into the belly of the beast in the cartel. He goes to meet with Escobedo. Yep. And he only goes to meet with him with a tape recorder. And Ryan goes in there and he exposes Cortez as the backstabbing sneak who set this entire thing up as a power grab. Yeah, he convinces them that Cortez will betray him. I do want to mention as well before we move on, this is maybe the most orange I've ever seen Willem Dafoe in a movie. Hmm. Like he is just as orange as could possibly be. Yeah, he's almost like one shade from hair to skin. It's strange. So Escobedo sets up this meeting with Cortez and informs him of the evidence, plays the evidence for him. Yeah. He's absolutely fucked. They're about to kill Cortez, and one of Cortez's guys comes in and like lays waste to all of Acevedo's men and Acevedo himself. They're dead. Jack is the only guy left standing. Clark and Ryan end up rescuing the men. Yeah, yeah. So that, that, that's how it works. Uh, Chavez is able to take a shot and save Jack, and he's able to fight his way through. He and Clark sneak their way through and rescue most of the POWs and get the fuck out of there. This is what leads us to our end sequence as those guys try to get out of there. And Harrison Ford has to climb his way out of the building with his old man acrobatics mm-hmm. and do the same thing as he's trying to hang on to the bottom of the plane as like a messed up Cortez is trying helicopter. to shoot. Huh? 
Oh, the bottom of the, the helicopter, yeah. pardon me. And the messed up Cortez is trying to shoot at him, but he gets taken out by Chavez. Yeah, he's hanging by his feet. He's he's hanging there by a thread, basically. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Clark's able to whoosh, hoist him up. Mm-hmm. And they all fly off together. They all fly off together. And then the, the movie ends, and I think on probably what is the, the best scene in the movie. Jack Ryan confronts the president. Yeah, yeah. He has a little stare down Ritter as he walks into there. And the president's feeding him a line of bullshit. And Jack is not having any of it. You know, he, he really, he dresses down the president. He yells right at him. Mm-hmm. He's like, you will not avoid response. Men got killed. He's like, how dare you? How dare you, sir? Like the way Harrison Ford yells at him is, is really great. It shows who that Jack Ryan character is. Cause the one thing that matters to him more so than anything else is soldiers used as a, as pawns. Yeah. He reminds Ma- you of Jack Bauer. And yeah, in yeah. He, 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 he won't stand for that. He, there's a lot of things that he can overlook, but he won't stand for that. He lied to the American people and he got soldiers killed for no reason. And that's not something Jack's ever going to let go. And Jack's not going to let it go. That's what's great about it. You know, right as he's about to leave, like the president's saying, like, this is how the Potomac dance goes. I'm not going to say it. And he just looks right. Or that's how the Potomac two-step goes. And Jack Ryan looks right in his eyes and goes, I don't dance, Mr. President, and walks right past him. Yeah. The final scene is him testifying in front of Congress as the credits roll. Yep. I ended up really loving this movie. I didn't. Yeah, I ended up really, once I I was into the plot and saw how it was working, how one element led to the other, I really got captured by the movie. I really did. So I'm glad I went back to go check it out. I would put this movie at an eight. I would put it at a six. Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I I just enjoy where it ended up going. I think some of the final stuff ends up being a little Rambo-y, but it's just enough with old Jack Ryan that I think it works. Movie's too bloated. There is a lot of stuff going on, but I think the movie really does need it to tell this story effectively. It's hard. It's it's a movie that you have to watch over and over again to get everything because there's so damn. It does much. require every single bit of your patience. This is mm-hmm. not if you go to the bathroom, pause it because you could easily miss a yeah. uh, fact that you might. It's, it's like I said, you missed a couple of things. You're like, oh, like I could see your eyes. I describe something. Like, oh, now I understand why that was there. Yeah. So it, it's just the way this movie is. It, it does require that you you really watch it and pay attention to it. All right. Some facts on this movie. The drug lord mansion destroyed by the missile was a real brick-and-mortar house in Mexico purchased by the filmmakers from a divorcee who had unpleasant memories of the place. Filmmakers bought the mansion and destroyed it. The divorcee kept the land and presumably built a new house. Nice. Right? All right you just blow up a house back then. That sounds great. Ernesto Escobedo is based on real-life drug lord Pablo Escobar, which we already kind of Yeah, I mean, about. That, that's clear as day. He was the head of the Medellin cartel in the 80s. Escobar died as this movie went into production. Oh, yeah. I guess I forget when he would have passed away. But yeah, that is the right in the timeline. So Penetrating communication security of the cartel was a central plot in the book as well as the movie. However, at the same time the film was in production in 1993, the Colombian military unit called Search Block, in cooperation with Central Spike, the code name for U.S. Army Intelligence Support Activity, was doing the same thing to Pablo Escobar, who was talking to his family members on an unsecured phone and was eventually tracked down and killed in a barefoot rooftop gun battle with Search Block. Jesus. Pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Film cast includes 50, 50, 50. five Oscar nominees. 500 Oscar nominees on this. Can you guess all five? Oh, man, that's a good one. Ah, uh, boy, that, that, what, Willem Dafoe? James Earl Jones? Two. Harrison Ford's never gotten a nomination. Harrison Ford? Three. Oh, yeah, he did. I'm sorry. That's right. Ann Archer? Four. Thor Birch? Nope. Damn it. Uh, the last one's going to be hard. 
Ah, uh, shite. It's probably somebody who's barely in the movie. Yep. Hope Lang. Huh? Hope Lang. Who the hell's that? I have no idea. <laughs> I thought you would know. No, I don't know who that is. That's the other nominee. And then we have reviews. Reviews for Patriot Games. 72% on Rotten Tomatoes. 6.8 on IMDb. Clear and Present Danger. 4.2 user review. 81% on Rotten Tomatoes. And a 6.9 on IMDb. And this week, I went with one-star reviews. And here we go. This is for Patriot Games. Yeah. Harrison Ford is dry and stiff as an actor in this film. Han Solo just can't cut it here. His over-the-top anger is blank. It's not my fault emotion. And even his raised finger to Richard Harris aren't enough to make him watchable or acceptable as Jack Ryan. Also, Annie Archer comes off as a pompous snob. <laughs> Thor Birch is cute as the daughter. The only good actors... <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was about to talk shit about seven-year-old Thor Birch. The only good actors who do well here are James Earl Jones and Alan Armstrong. And it was nice to see Shameless as Frank Gallagher. David Threefall? I don't know what that is. David Threffle. I don't know if Alec Baldwin and Gates McFadden would have been better, but I suspect so. Ford and Archer were purely names to sell a film franchise. Sean Bean once again reprises his lunatic killer role and his film plot makes about as much sense as his character does. Miller takes care of his compatriots just to take a shot at a fleeing Jack Ryan. A very poorly executed film that had a lot of potential and a ready following from the books. The action is watchable and the satellite assassination was cool, but that's all you will get from this film. Aside from a sore butt from watching an overly long ending. Well, I agree with a lot of that guy's points, to be honest. I just, I guess I liked it more than he did since he hated everything about it, but I, I did enjoy some elements of it. Yeah. So. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, that, that guy was really, really down on it. I think that it was refreshing to have a movie that had a simple plot. From all these movies I've seen so far, they're so thick. Yeah. I don't think the sum of all fears is, is going to offend you. I think it's, it's a little more straightforward. Thank God. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Roger Ebert was indeed alive in those early 90s. And of course, he and Gene Siskel took a look at Patriot Games. And by the way, I want to mention this movie was incredibly well reviewed when it came out. Critics really, really enjoyed the film. And do you think Siskel and Ebert liked the movie? Um, yes. That, that, that is a pretty safe assumption. This is actually a split vote for them. Our first film is Patriot Games, and even though some of its drama peters out at the end, this is a mostly tension-filled thriller that, among other things, confirms Harrison Ford's status as one of our best leading men. What his characters care about, we instantly care about. In Patriot Games, Ford replaces Alec Baldwin, who starred in The Hunt for Red October. Ford is now former CIA analyst Jack Ryan, who, while on vacation in London with his wife and family, stumbles into a kidnapping attempt on a member of the royal family by a renegade group of the Irish Republican Army. Get out of the car! Come on! Oh, get out! Open the fucking door! Open it! Open it or we'll blow it off! Ford foils the terrorists, killing some of the ultraviolet IRA crew, 
And one of their surviving members, while on trial, threatens revenge. Bloody proud of yourself, aren't you? Against his will, Ford is sucked back into the CIA fold and soon finds himself under attack. His wife, played by Ann Archer, finally lets go of her natural instinct to keep her husband out of the line of fire. You get him, Jack. I don't care what you have to do. Just get him. Just get him. I really like Patriot Games for its inside look at the CIA, or enough of an inside look that I thought it was an inside <laughs> look. Uh, and there's a great scene, for example, where we see a live satellite transmission of a military battle by some CIA troops. Soldiers adds dots on a monitor, a TV monitor that is exciting and quietly chilling. That's Patriot Games. The site we're numb to at this point. And uh, there was only one question I had about that. Very story. unique in eighty two. People were killed when we were watching them on satellite. How come they're still alive later on in the movie? Apparently they had the wrong camp out there in the desert, but that is never explained in the dialogue. Uh, I liked the high-tech stuff. That's what I expect from yes. Tom Clancy. What I didn't like is the fact that the movie ends with a bunch of people creeping around in a basement yes. yeah. followed by a speedboat chase <laughs> in a dark and stormy night with thunder and lightning and one of the speedboats is on fire and about to explode and I thought a scene like that belonged with Harrison Ford in the boat it looked like it was a scene from Indiana Jones yeah. I felt that this movie betrayed its Tom Clancy origins to turn itself into kind of a routine and disappointing thriller but only at the end and I think that, that those that's what I'm saying about the drama petering out because it became routine when it was very special but it's very special for a long time and then there's the question of Ford uh, and I think it is a really strong performance and then a couple other things here is an Irish American character Jack Ryan fighting in Ireland and I think the film is sophisticated enough to give us some of the twists in his heart about what's going on well, over I didn't there. Get, there wasn't a single twist in Jack Ryan's heart. There is some sophistication about the different factions of the IRA, but Jack Ryan never thought as an Irishman in this no, film. No, no, no. I think where you see it is in the shot of his house, and it looks like it could be on the Irish coast. Well, I think that's a, okay. That's you know a real estate to. point that doesn't no, have to do with drama. Let's go really reach for that one because I thought it let Tom Clancy down. So uh, yeah, they were split on that one. Yeah, it sounded like it. Yeah, Ebert really didn't care for it all that much, and I guess I kind of agree with Ebert uh, to a large degree, in all honesty. So well, I agree with Siskel. Yeah, Siskel. Siskel found a little more to like, but that's 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 how it goes. Siskel was the he loved movies, and Ebert was the hatchet man. Mm-hmm. All right, so we got a review for Clear and Present. All right, last review we have. This wasn't a very entertaining movie to begin with, but when the team of American spooks gets caught in a Colombian box canyon, it turns up the ridiculous to 11. I mean, it's one thing when you make a fantasy like the A-Team, where nobody even pretends to be showing anything realistic, or a B-grade Van Damme movie. But when you're making a political thriller by a clever writer like Tom Clancy, why waste his CIA, FBI insider writing on this drivel? You've got the heavily accented Central American drug lords, the reactionary American administration waging its pointless war on drugs, and perpetually constipated Harrison Ford pretending to be with a, what a pencil pusher thrust into action by circumstances. Once you've seen Get Shorty, where the same Latin American drug lord shows up looking for his money and his nephew Yayo, to which Delroy Lindo replies, I don't know where Yo-Yo is. It's hard to take the dude seriously in this movie, even in retrospect. I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've seen that movie, so. Then there is the covert ops, 
which are introduced early and we're thinking this might be interesting, but they get sidelined for some screen time for Mr. Constipated. Only to return <laughs> in the second act with it would appear full Air Force help. I thought they were covert ops. Ultimately, it plays more as a love letter to all the war on drugs nut jobs inspired by Nancy Reagan and a lot less on a political thriller it probably was in the novel. I don't know. I, I know the movie was toothless politically, but I, I still think it found a way to at least have some bit of message. You know, I, I know they weren't going to go as jingoistic as Tom Clancy would have been necessarily, but I still think the movie it kept a bit of his right wing message pro America stuff in there, obviously as it was going to be. So, mm-hmm. but you know, I still found a little bit to like this week, and I was surprised. I know I like the next movie, Some of All Fears, but I'm afraid I won't like it as much as I did back in the day. Yeah. Uh, I have no expectations for Shadow Recruit. Never seen it, so we'll see how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, most people forget that Chris Pine played Jack Ryan for one role. Well, folks, that's what we have to look forward to next week. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, to go out, just one question for you. Oh, you're not going to make me wear a rubber, are you? You, wow. knew, you knew I had to put it in there. I use sound effects this week. <laughs> All right, guys, that's it. I'll see you guys. Bye.